This is Recovery Revolution Live. The episode you're about to listen to is live and unedited. If you'd like to join us on the live stream, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube. Facebook.com slash Recovery Revolution 100 or search Recovery Revolution Live on YouTube. Alrighty, and welcome to Recovery Revolution Live. My name is Carl, one of the co-hosts for the Recovery Revolution, and today we are being joined by Mr. Brett Morris and Mrs. Ashley Grimes. And what a show we have lined up for you guys today. On today's show, we're going to have Bipolar Barbie, who is an Australian artist, an author, a motivational speaker. She is committed to changing the face of mental health. She aims to abolish the stigma surrounding mental health leading by example, and sharing her own journey. She hopes that by sharing her story and struggles, she will be able to help others feel less alone as they experience her creative take on living with a mental illness. Alrighty, everybody, welcome to the Recovery Revolution live show today. We're so happy to have you guys on and happy Thursday to everybody. What's going on, Carl? What's going on, fellas? Brett, I think your microphone level seems a little bit low. A little bit low? I actually turned yeah. it up a little bit since the last Did show. You? It's probably just right. the background music that's drowning me out. Maybe just the background music. you want me to turn yeah. the background music back up? Just no, kidding. probably not. All I feel right. like I'm in a club or something. <laughs> there wasn't right. sync playing, so I can't yeah, be dancing. Absolutely. Cool. We got six viewers already. All right, guys. Yeah, we're we doing like an L show with like the music. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're going to be dancing pretty soon. Brett's going to come out on his OnlyFans <laughs> page with a uh, Recovery Revolution live dance, and that's going to be the new TikTok sensation. So, uh, Brett, thank you very much for bringing that to us today. And uh, you are actually going to be uh, sponsoring the show today with your Recovery Survey podcast. So we appreciate you doing that. And we're going to be having two giveaways on today's show. Brett is going to be giving the first giveaway. And then I have a surprise giveaway on a second sponsor that we have coming up. And we are going to talk about all those things. Plus our guest today, who is Bipolar Barbie, who also goes by the name B or Jess, if you're in the know. So uh, welcome to the show, uh, B. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. How's your day been today? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good so far. It's been uh, a chilled Friday for me. Um, it's Friday lunchtime here at noon. So, you know, I got up, I, I did a bunch of drawing because I'm an artist. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm working on some, some new drawings. Uh, and then, yeah. I just had you guys, so uh, pretty chilled morning so far. Yeah, that sounds really relaxing. I think all three of us over here in the in the United States, we 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 all just got off work, and and usually the the mad rush to get home. <laughs> Hopefully, there isn't a lot of traffic um, before we jump on the live stream here. So, yeah, man, I wish we could do a live stream like right at lunchtime. That would be that would be lovely. Ashley, would you mind? It is a, a pretty stream? good time. Yeah. I work for a living. You work Carl oh, yeah, trying to tell right. me about Ashley, lunchtime. Ashley is the one that yeah, has five lunch? badges for the five bazillion jobs that she has. <laughs> not that not that you guys don't work, but you know, it's a little more flexible. Yeah. And Carl, you work mm-hmm. in you know, the industry, so it's they're a little more forgiving for the stuff too. Yeah, yeah. Like today we we're putting together 
So we've taken apart all of our packets that we give to our um, clients, and now we're putting them all back together. And I actually had to like rewrite a bunch of the documents because they were old documents. And we didn't have digital copies of them, and they weren't able to be, um, you know, edited or anything. And so I've been in the process of sending it over to all of our um, insurance providers and stuff to make sure that they meet the requirements that they need for the insurance and stuff. So. Yeah, it's, it's so you guys take your packets apart and put them back together yourself. You don't like have people do that for you. No, that's um, the I do it because coming into into my company, you know, they had been using the same packet for a long time, and so I wanted to make sure that all the documentation that we had in there was up to standards and everything. Hmm. <laughs> Carl, okay, so maybe work. so one for the professional environment, one for the recovery. Mm-hmm. environment you get to do stuff at lunchtime and get people to put packets together yeah. and apart and yeah yeah we have a very small rehab family run rehab so you know everybody wears lots of different hats there so well um b it's it's wonderful to have you on the show and you're from australia what part of australia are you from I'm from the east coast of Australia, so sort of uh, northern New South Wales, um, right sort of on the coastline, which is quite nice. That sounds lovely. Um, So, uh, you know, I've never been to Australia. So if you had something to to sell me on coming over to Australia, what would be a selling point for somebody like myself who's never been but maybe would want to come and and vacation or visit and learn about the culture and, and everything? Uh, I think the fact that Aussies are quite laid back, they're quite fun, Uh, everybody's kind of your mate. Like I've done a lot of traveling overseas and that was one thing that I really noticed, Um, especially, you know, there's so many small towns, like it's like 98% of our population lives in, you know, Sydney or Melbourne in those kind of bigger cities. So the 2% of the population basically lives everywhere else. Um, So it works out that like one person has about two square kilometers which is about a square mile kind of per person um with if you work out the population to the actual land mass so that means like where i live there's about four thousand people that live here so it's it's really pretty awesome that you can experience so much like i take my dogs to the beach every day and there's just no one else on the beach where i live you know so that that is incredible and when you do see someone else it's always like hey how you going you know in passing everyone's really friendly with each other um and they're really open to kind of new people and um you know i guess socializing and getting to know each other yeah that sounds really uh really nice i I spent some time over in hawaii and it was a very similar type of feeling where you know just that community aspect of people greeting each other on the beach or people greeting each other as they pass uh, walking down the street and it was very uh, opening and very friendly and very inviting to have people come into their communities and learn about the culture and everything else. Sorry, I'm a talker with my hands and I'm watching my camera like go in and out and it's like <laughs> it's you got to get the you got to get the manual focus. So I'm jealous already cuz we can't have dogs on the beach. I live on the beach too. But we're not allowed to have dogs. There's like dog beaches, but mm-hmm. you can't like take your dog on a walk on the beach. Oh, we have dog beaches as well. But you're um, allowed to take. We have dog beaches as well, but I. Yeah, we have like a back beach and a front beach, and there's a headland that is kind of like our town. But basically, you know, when you live on the coastline here, it's like every you know mile there's a new beach. 
Um, so, you know, the rules, you know, kind of apply differently, but yeah, you just pick which beach you want to walk up and down. Um, but there, there is quite a few um, dog beaches or on leash beaches, off leash. Um, and, you know, where they have the surf life-saving patrol for people to swim, that's often like a no dog zone. Um, but yeah, I, I love going down the beach. Speaking of talking with your hands, I actually have a really funny story because I do the same thing and I'm kind of holding my hands down on the table. Yeah. But I had the, this first date where I was at Sushi Train and um, the guy that I was went on this first date with had piled all of his uh, plates at Sushi Train like up in a stack and then he'd put his chopsticks lying on top of this quite large stack of sushi plates. And as I was talking with my hands, my hand hit the side of one of the chopsticks that was on this stack of plates. And then it just like flipped through the air and just poked him straight in the eyeball. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, so I just stabbed this guy in the eye with a chopstick on a first date. Wow. Was, was there a second was there a date? Second, yeah. yeah, was there a second date to that or there was. Like, he dated me for six months. So okay. um, maybe uh maybe only like finger foods after that instead of foods that had to be eaten with objects that might be sharp. Maybe he liked it. Absolutely. Maybe he liked the abuse. <laughs> <laughs> he could have been uh, yeah. into that, yeah. yeah no, Never know. No, no chopsticks recovery. Thank you, uh, JR. Um, so tell us a little <laughs> bit about you and you know why you won't came you know like tell us about your book we want to hear how i how i got here okay well i guess they they kind of start in like the same way so i started writing this book and um it was maybe like 2015 i think um and i was having this severe manic episodes like i just was not sleeping and i was just decided i was going to write this book about my life i'd been in and out of psych wards i just had this whole whole big journey and i started to write this book and i was sitting in my room writing it and you know my house was a complete mess like it, it was just it it had been destroyed basically and my housemate came into my room and i had about a foot of clothes on the floor throughout like the whole floor you could not walk from the door to my bed without treading on something and my housemate said that um if i didn't have as many clothes i probably wouldn't be able to make as much mess which you know theoretically makes sense although i still think i could make a mess with less stuff but i realized that i couldn't really get rid of any of my clothes because I have so many different, you know, wardrobes. So it's like, you know, kind of borderline me goes into this kind of grunge, you know, ripped jeans, um, you know, kind of acid watch, like t-shirt kind of phase. And then depressed me is uh, basically tracksuit pants and oversized t-shirts. And then manic me is bright colors, like mini skirts, um, kind of more revealing. And, you know, I realized, that each one of my different personalities, each one of these mental illness filters that gets put on you has a different outfit and has a different persona that goes with it. And it's not like multiple personality disorder, but it's just that when you have, you know, different personality traits that come through with different types of mental illness and different phases, they're represented in your actual life. And that's when I sort of felt like I was a bit of a Barbie doll you know, Barbie had roller skating Barbie and, you know, scuba diving Barbie and, you know, wedding Barbie, nurse Barbie. There was all these different outfits that she had. And there was just some little girl deciding what she was going to be for that day, what role she was going to be playing and acting out. 
And I sort of felt the same. I felt just as helpless because I didn't get to decide who I got to be every day. Whenever I woke up, there was just some outside force that decided who I was going to be each day. And that's sort of when I came up with this idea that I was just like a bipolar Barbie doll. There was manic Barbie. There was, you know, depressed Barbie. There was anxious Barbie and all of these different Barbie personas. And that's when this book kind of started to take that turn where there were a series of diary entries and they would be signed off by whatever kind of Barbie I felt like I was at that day. And that's sort of when I started blogging on social media as well about my experience um, and I was manic. So, you know, my housemate was like, I don't understand how you can be broke when you're, uh, you know, you're hot, you need to become this Instagram influencer. <laughs> so I was manic, I was full of confidence. I was like, yes, this is what I'm doing. But as I started to come crashing down, these like revealing kind of photos of myself that I was posting on there as like influencers kind of do, um, really just felt so different to who I was really as a person and to how I was feeling at the time. So I started just expanding the captions. And then it was about 15,000 followers into this journey where people started to say to me, you know that we follow you because of what you write, not because of what you look like. And I think that was just a really big turning point for me where I started to focus more on my writing and, you know, more of authentically who I was as a person instead of this image that Manic Me was trying to, you know, promote to the world. And, you know, my social media pages just grew from there and it was, you know, an incredible journey and experiment for me to be validated in such a way and understand that I wasn't alone because a lot of people in my life made me feel like I was the only one going through this struggle. Um, and, you know, that just expanded from these daily blogs on my social media into, you know, this series of books that I'm now publishing. And the first one's just finally been released after, you know, this like six or seven year kind of journey. Um, but yeah, that's sort of how I got to where I am here today. Can I ask you a question? Just some of our viewers might not understand, our listeners might not understand, you know, what bipolar disorder is. And there's a, a certain, there's a couple of certain kinds, you know, like they're cyclic. And can you explain what, you know, a manic episode is and what a depressed episode is just so they can kind of understand when you say bipolar, what, what it's sure. like? So I have, I've been diagnosed with bipolar 2, um, which is, some people say it's a lesser form of bipolar disorder, but that's not exactly true. What they found now is that bipolar 1 tends to have higher manic episodes, uh, which includes psychotic episodes, um, and whereas bipolar 2, you don't have those psychotic episodes and you experience more of a mild form of mania, more of a hypermania. Um, and you generally experience a lower low. So you get a lot more depressed than you would with bipolar type 1. Um, so it's not necessarily less significant form. Uh, it's just very different. Um, and then, you know, there is kind of rapid cycling bipolar. There, There is a few different ones mentioned um, in the DSM, the Diagnostic um, Manual for uh, Psychiatric Conditions. But that's the main two that most people know and generally get diagnosed with first. The other ones are sort of categories that they put you in if they can't explain sort of what's going on. But a manic episode is basically where you experience symptoms like not needing to eat, 
not needing to sleep, um, having excessive amounts of energy. Um, it's sort of like the, you know, your brain, the dopamine spikes in your brain, you go full speed, the brakes get taken off. So you don't have that voice in your head that says, hey, maybe cartwheeling in the supermarket is not the best idea. You know, you don't have that, the ability to reason. Your brain is just on overdrive. And if you took an MRI scan of your brain, you would see that it's lit up. And they have shown that people who have prolonged manic episodes will experience the same amount of gray matter deterioration in their brain as someone with Alzheimer's. So it's actually destroying your brain functioning at such, um, I guess, a high level, but not sort of in like a super intelligence way. It's just your brain is not getting the rest um, that it needs. And depression is sort of the opposite. Bipolar depression is very physical. It's not just about being all in your head. It's um, your neurons in your brain won't fire as quickly. You know, the same thing with the MRI. There's parts of your brain that just won't be lit up. You just can't function uh, like a normal human being. You're probably going to sleep a lot more. You're going to maybe eat a lot more. And there's just not a lot of dopamine in your brain, which, um, you know, gives you the energy to do things. And dopamine, an excess of dopamine will eat up your serotonin. And your serotonin is a sleep hormone. It's also, you know, a happiness hormone. So a lot of I guess what defines bipolar is this spike of dopamine eating up your serotonin. Um, so that's during a manic episode. And the higher you go up, the harder you will fall down and the lower you will go. Uh, so I guess management of bipolar disorder is about uh, evening out those highs and lows to find a level of stability. Uh, because if you don't go as high up, then you're not going to go as high down. So it's sort of, yeah, just about creating more of a plateau and have a normal emotional range of highs and lows rather than the extremes that is bipolar. And I've, I've been diagnosed with a major depressive disorder. And I know a lot of people don't understand that when you're depressed, your body hurts or, you know, like people will tell you, hey, get out of bed. And, you know, after the second day in bed, it's almost like physically not impossible, but it feels impossible. Like getting out of bed feels like running a marathon for other people. Like it's super exhausting. It's, and it, so, you know, having the highs and lows, I, you know, you, you're a warrior, you know, like people don't realize the things you've overcome and to be able to write, I mean, to be able to, you know, show up for this, you know, to have an appointment who, you know, you didn't know, like, how you're going to feel today. And you still, you know, said you'd come and you still did. I mean, that's. Thank you. And I'm sorry that you're going through that because I know how, how difficult it is. And I think that's one of the reasons that I wanted to write the book specifically, because I started off writing one book, which was my life story. And I wrote 3000 pages <laughs> and I realized that, okay, this is a little bit more than one book. And when I was told to condense that down, I just realized you can't, you can't tell this story in one book. I'm really sick of reading these personal stories and journeys, these hero's journeys that people go on where it's, you know, I started here, something bad happened, and then, you know, I got over it and I lived happily ever after uh, because that's not what this is about. There's highs, there's lows, there's times that you think you finally made it to the end, but recovery is not, uh, you know, it's, it's not a destination. It's a way of life. 
So, you know, I really wanted people, you know, in this, so far it's a six-part series that I've written. I've released the first one called Drowning in the Seas of Mental Illness, but it's part of the Bipolar Barbie Diaries. And, you know, each diary entry is like a day-by-day account of what is going on uh, in my life and the lives of many other people because people don't understand what it's like to reach out for help, go to a doctor, be told that you can't be helped, um, referred to another doctor, be told that it's just in your head, you've got to see a psychologist, see a psychologist, you know, wait six months on a waiting list to get an appointment and then not be able to afford the appointment because you've lost your job because you haven't been able to get out of bed. You know, there was six months where I didn't open like a letter, like mail, and I ended up so far behind in my bills, like electricity got cut off. Like it was just, you know, all of these things go on and your life sort of falls apart around you because you can't function. And, uh, you know, people say mental illness is invisible, but that's not true because people in my life would say, oh, you haven't been out of your pajamas for weeks. Oh, your hair looks like crap because it's it's oily. You haven't washed it. You know, or, you, you know, your personal hygiene's bad. Um, you never leave the house. Your curtains are always drawn. Like you just, you know, you're still in bed. Oh, you haven't washed your dishes in a week. Look at, you know, all your dirty dishes in the sink. They're growing mold. So it's, you know, people would see it. They would just interpret that as, oh, I was lazy. Oh, I just, you know, it's, it's, you know, and I I remember saying once to my mom that I was going to go into the psych ward and she said, really? I thought that you were like fine. And I was like, how, how could you think that I was fine? And I explained all of the reasons that she should be able to see that I wasn't fine. And she said, yeah, but you're always like that. And I just thought, isn't that the saddest part that I've been like this for so long that people just assume it's my personality? Finally, it came off mute. Sorry, I was trying to talk. Um, Sorry. No, no. Um, And yeah, it's hard. People judge first before they even think, before they even ask, are you okay? You know, what's going on? This isn't what you normally do. It's, you know. And that's one thing, you know, I've learned is, you know, when someone, you know, their hair's a little oily or, you know, they've gained weight, you know, I don't say, why have you gained weight? Why do you, you know, is everything going okay? Like, do you need to talk? It's, you know, people go through things that you, we just don't even know. And there was somebody on the poster. Go ahead. Yeah, I think people just don't you know, that there's one story in my book where I talk about when I finally got up the courage for the first time to go and see a doctor. And, and, you know, I was terrified of speaking the words like, I'm not okay. You know, those were what I thought would be the most difficult part of the process of reaching out for help. But when my doctor turned around and said, okay, what's going on? I realized that the hardest bit was describing what was going on because there wasn't an easy answer. I couldn't just say, you know, someone in my life died, although, you know, that had recently happened, but there was no one reason, you know, I couldn't say I, I, I had just gotten divorced or, you know, there was nothing that I could really put it on. It's just, I was not feeling okay. And I didn't know why I didn't have an answer for that question. That's why I was reaching out for help. And I think when, you know, I, I think the reason there is this kind of stigma is people have a lack of understanding, but the people who do understand, they don't know how to talk about it because we're not taught a vocabulary. 
when it comes to describing our feelings and our mental health issues. I completely agree. I'm a big advocate for, you know, teaching young kids like three, four as they're learning, you know, how to enhance their vocabulary to be able to use words to say how they feel and to be able to talk about, you know, I wish we had it in our schools more that just from, you know, kindergarten up, just showing them pictures. What do you feel like today? You know, and being able to say, I'm sad. You know, Johnny, why are you sad? You know, Greg stole my toy. Greg, why would you take his toy? You know, like if this is how things you learn these skills, how to talk to others, how to describe your feelings, you know, and he knows that he hurt Johnny's feelings. And then he learns, you know, when I take something, it doesn't feel good to somebody else. And like developing these habits with kids young, you know, could change their whole lives, change the way they treat others, their connections could be deeper. It's so important. And just teaching people I feel statements, you know, a lot of adults don't have these I feel statements. And, you know, that there's a big difference because I, I see people talking at each other all the time, but I hardly ever see effective communication, you know, and I think that's the root of a lot of relationship problems. But if you hear someone sort of saying, you hurt me, immediately you're going to go on the defensive, like, whoa, I didn't hurt you. But what you're doing in, in that sense is you're invalidating someone's feelings, you know, and you don't really have a right to tell someone what they think or feel, you know, you don't know that. But just someone accusing you of hurting them uh, is, you know, immediately puts you on that defensive. But if someone said to you, I feel hurt, then immediately you want to respond to them with empathy and understanding, you know, so it's not just about uh, other people being careful of how they react, but it's also about you taking responsibility for the way that you communicate how you feel and what's going on with you to other people um, to understand that it's often inside you and it's not necessarily outside you. So even if someone, you know, did something to hurt you, um, whether or not you're hurt is sort of your choice. Um, I always say that uh, abuse is in the eye of the beholder, but trauma is undeniable. Makes sense. I mean, you can't, you know, tell someone how they should, you know, trauma is because of something you feel, you know, or something, the way something made you feel. So, it, you know, for some person, for some people, it could be, you know, war or seeing war. For another person, it could just be, you know, somebody saying something hurtful. It could be a major trauma for them. And, and it doesn't, one, you know, sounds a whole lot more severe, but it, it might feel completely the same for both people. So. Absolutely. There's no ultimate truth. There's just, you know, your interpretation of the truth and my interpretation of the truth. And, you know, what really happened is kind of somewhere in the middle, especially when we're talking about, you know, people's emotional, um, you know, recount, recounting of how things went down. Yeah. And communicating effectively is a skill. It's not something you, you just are born with and it takes a lot of work. I know like recently I've learned about how to, you know, active listening and repeating what they say. Cause there's times, even emails, I'll write like three words. And somebody will be like, well, that was, you know, kind of 
I'm like, I didn't want to write too much because I didn't want it to be taken out of context. You know, like I was just trying yeah. to get the point. And they're like, well, it came off like this. And I'm like, that's not what I said. You know, and so it's like, you know, act, you know, if somebody's telling you something, you know, to say, but, you know, I heard you say this. Can you explain to me what that means or what you were trying to say? You know, ask questions that are open ended and listen to what they have to say. Just don't assume and then go mad, you know, off mad. It's a skill I'm Absolutely. still working on. I promise I'm not great at it, but I'm working on it. I mean, I don't I don't claim to have all the answers. You know, my story is still being written. Um, I, you know, I, I sort of intend to work on myself for the rest of my life. You know, I, I don't think I'll ever get to a point where I'll be satisfied with, I guess, like who I am. Um, I, I, I'm at a place right now where I accept where I'm at right now and I accept that, you know, I'm, I'm going on this journey, uh, but I also understand that I will never get to a point where I don't need to work on myself anymore. You know, we, we need to be constantly learning and, you know, looking at ourselves like how can I do better, you know, how could I have handled that better and, you know, not, not in an anxious kind of overthinking obsessive way, you still need to understand what negative thinking styles are and, and make sure you're thinking constructively um, and proactively rather than, you know, with these negative filters and, and obsessing. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, personal evolution is what we're kind of on this planet to do and the second you you stop and believe you know everything about everyone and yourself and who you are and you just say well this is who I am I'm just going to accept that um the reason I got so far in this journey is because I never accepted that you know the mentally ill law school dropout that I became was all that I was ever going to be I just I just did not accept it like I'm sorry if I got told by a doctor that you know, this is just who you are now. This is your life. Depression is just going to be with you forever. I was like, no, it's not. I will find a way to live because I just do not believe that life could be this cruel to someone, you know, um, and I'll do whatever it takes to fight for the life that I think I deserve. Does life look a lot different today than it looked back then? Yes. So in a lot of ways there's hope so oh there's, there is a hundred percent hope you know but also i know that if i told my past self um what i'm experiencing now was possible um i would have just been like i could not have foreseen that future because of how far i was so i want to tell everyone out there there is hope but i'm not going to you know, sugarcoat anything. It's hard and it's difficult and it's the hardest thing that you will ever do. But when I tell people not to give up, I don't mean that in the, you know, don't take your own life. I mean, that's obvious, but I mean, don't give up fighting. You know, I, people who say I tried one medication and then I just, it didn't work for me. So I've never gone back. Well, I've tried 17 different combinations of medications. <laughs> You know, I've had five different psychiatrists. I've been to two different psych wards. You know, I've I've had, I've lost count of the amount of therapists that I've had, but I've had counselors, therapists, clinical psychologists, you know, a, a whole range of different doctors. And 
I just, I just, if I didn't get the answer that I wanted, if I didn't get the response that I, I wanted, I was just like, okay, I'm going to see somewhere else. You know, I'm not going to just give up because one thing didn't work. When I think it's hard for people to realize too, you know, when they try a new medication, they want you on it for at least two weeks to see if it's working. So, you know, it takes a long time to see. Oh, any... three months. Oh, they have you three months? Oh. A lot of times they say, well, two weeks, you know, like if there's like side effects and stuff like that. But um, three months. So, I mean, three months, think of 17 different medications. Is it, was it 17 you said? Um, I mean, Three yeah. months times that, it's a long time. That's a, a long fight. And sometimes just getting through well, the day is hard. You've got to wean yourself off it. You've got to wean yourself off it too, you know? So it's like you, you spend three months seeing if it works, you know, and then you've got to go to the doctor and convince them it's not working. And then they've got to wean you off slowly, which can take up to another three months, you know, before they can put you on something else. And there's such a stigma too, you know, like, when you're going through all that and even, you know, going to a mental hospital or stuff like that, sometimes that's the best option, but there's so much stigma saying I've been to a mental hospital, but that's a place I can give medication and try it out. And, you know, you're supervised and, you know, it's, you know, that's sometimes where the most progress happens. So there shouldn't be any stigma, but, you know, hopefully if I, you know, people like you speaking out, it'll change outcomes and, you know, the ability for other people to see that there's hope and that they can talk about it too. I hope so. I, I really do hope so. And I also know that as a fact, um, you know, I was walking on the beach yesterday and I was just thinking about a few different moments that happened in my life. And um, I guess these are two sort of, you know, huge moments that that really transformed me as a person and I used to work in a hotel and um when I was in there I checked this guy into this hotel and I just knew I could just tell that he wasn't okay just you know I don't know what it was but it was just like his demeanor I knew that he was not he was depressed I just knew it and I was depressed myself at the time. So I wasn't my normal peppy, hey, how you going? You know, I hope you have a fantastic day because I always try and make sure everyone else is happy. I was just kind of like, here's your key. Like, I need your credit card, whatever. He signed the form. Off you go upstairs. Anyway, the next day he ended up jumping off the building and committing suicide. And I remember just wondering for a very long time if I could have changed that guy's life. And not really knowing, you know, not not like blaming myself, but I know also how much a simple smile can change your life because I've been in that position where I've been walking down the street, you know, back and forth over a, a train bridge, you know, wondering whether or not I should jump and just contemplating it for hours. And then having all of these people in a really busy street on this city walking past me. And then one person just just smiled at me as I was pacing back and forth. And I remember just thinking, I'm not going to take my life today because that person saw me. That person thought that I was worth enough to just smile at me in the street, a complete stranger. And he saved my life that day and he'll never know that. But I know the power of how much just a simple act of kindness, like smiling to someone can change their life um, and can just make all of the difference to making, you know, 
them them worth living you know yeah 100 percent. because you know when you're in that state you feel worthless and just somebody thinking you're worth it you're worth their smile you're worth their five seconds day say hi how are you you're worth a phone call like those are super meaningful in those moments Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I always just message my friends randomly. You know, I I was at a funeral the other day and it just, you know, it, I, I just messaged all of my friends and I just said, I love you. And I want you to know that I love you. I care about you. You know, even if I don't speak to you, you know, I only speak to you like once a year or something. It's like you are valuable to me and I'm glad that you're in my life. And I just want you to know that for no reason in particular, just just putting that out there because I, I've lost so many people and I just really want to make sure that when they or I leave this earth that everyone in my life knows how much they mean to me because I think that is something that we don't say and the amount of times you know another example where I was literally had a bottle of pills in my hand and I was about to take them when I saw my best friend calling me on the phone and you know i answered it and she just saved my life that day without even knowing like we didn't talk about anything in particular but just the fact that she was there you know in that moment and i had something to grasp onto um is you know another moment that that changed my life and saved my life and even my dog there was one night and i have not been suicidal since this moment but um for whatever reason i'd never thought about hanging myself but this one night, it was two o'clock in the morning, I'd been so distraught and everyone was inside their house and I was outside their house. And I knew how easy it would have been to walk inside, wake my sister and my brother-in-law up and just say, I'm not okay, I need help. But I had done that in the past. And the answer is always like, well, are you gonna kill yourself? Cause if not, just like leave us alone and let us sleep. You know, it's it's when you're suicidal, there's, there's not like a, a switch that, you know, you don't know where that level is. It kind of creeps up on you and it's like, well, am I going to do it? Am I not? I don't know. I'm, I'm on the edge and, you know, you don't want to overreact. So I ended up going outside to this like rotunda that we have outside with rafters. I tied a rope around it and I was standing on this table and I remember just looking down and I saw my dog this dog that's behind me right now he was looking up at me and he was just terrified like he knew what was going to happen and I remember just seeing my reflection in his eyes and I just thought how can I abandon this this animal I am his entire life you know he's my dog he's no one else's dog he's spent so much time with me that he would he would literally die of sadness if I if I disappeared you know and I remember just thinking if I am not going to live for myself then I'm going to live for him. And I promised him that I would, I would never try and take my life again. Um, and it's been about three years since that day and I haven't. So, you know, that's a way that even a dog and, you know, the benefits of having pets in your life can, can change your life and give you something to live for. I think it's really important to, you know, say that even if you don't feel like you're worth being here or that you matter to anybody, that there are people that you matter to. It doesn't matter if you have a job, it doesn't matter if you're using drugs, it doesn't matter if you're in recovery and you have a reoccurrence, it doesn't matter if you hurt somebody. There are people that still care. There's people that probably care that you don't even know care or that you even talked to twice. 
you know, it's, and I, I, I understand what it feels like to be there. It's, it's in May, it'll be five years since I last attempted. Um, but it was after my best friend, you know, attempted to take, well, successfully took her life. And it, I mean, it's just devastating like that she's not here, that she's not getting to, you know, come through to the other side or, you know, there's things going on that, you know, I want to call her and talk to her about. And it's, it's just so sad to me that, you know, she felt like that was better. And I don't know if you feel that I'm really sorry that you had to go through that, that you were at that place. And, you know, the dedication of my my second book, I'll give you a little bit of an inside scoop, is uh, dedicated to the one million people worldwide who commit suicide. And the caption below it is, I'm sorry we failed you. Because I think that's really what it is. People don't commit suicide, they die from depression you know, the same way someone dies from cancer. It's not necessarily the cancer that kills you, but it's the complications and how your body shuts down as a result of that. So, you know, because I've been suicidal in my life, when I hear about someone committing suicide, it's so sad that I will never see that person again, but I can't blame them because I've been there. You know, I hear a lot of other people talk about how dare they do that to me? How dare they leave me? Um, so, you know, it's, but, but for me, I just feel, I know how bad a person has to get to like in their life and how much just stress they have to be suffering with on a daily basis to see no other way out. You know, for me, it was like, I couldn't live like this anymore. So I either changed the way that I was living, um, which didn't seem to be possible. You know, I wasn't getting the help that I needed through medication and things like that. So the only real two options I had was to drown myself with alcohol or drugs or to basically take my own life. You know, if you can't live like that anymore and there's no other way to live, then that's the unfortunate kind of last resort that you have. And you're 100% you know accurate for her it was um she had a reoccurrence and she knew her boyfriend would leave her um she knew that she would lose her kids because they'd gotten taken away previous if she admitted that she needed help she didn't know what to do she thought she'd lose her kids she thought she, you know so um it's you know it's hard and that is so hard and that is so painful. And whether or not you have a reason to be sad or depression has just taken its toll because, you know, we need to remember as well that a lot of people commit suicide who seem to have everything. You know, it's depression. I, I guess I raise awareness and I try and make a distinction between mental health and mental illness because everyone is going to have mental health issues. Not everyone is going to be diagnosed with a mental illness. You know, so, for example, in my book, I really try and make that distinction. The labels for me are irrelevant. Call it whatever you want, as long as you, you know, fix me, basically. But um, in the book, I, I try and name what it is I'm going through specifically so people understand the difference between what is situational depression, you know, what is just general anxiety about life, what is anxiety because something in your life really needs to change, and what is a biological condition that needs treatment. 
uh, because they're not the same. That's why the same treatment isn't going to work for everyone. And, uh, you know, I, I'm actually going to give away one of the copies of my book to um, one of the viewers today. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's a book that everyone really needs to read. Like this book is amazing. I know I'm biased. I know I wrote it. The reviews have been incredible. Um, I know it's just going to change so many people's lives. But, you know, people who know me, family and friends that have read it, they're surprised that I can write this good. They're like, wow, it's actually a really interesting book and your writing is amazing. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, did you doubt me? Um, but I think, yeah, it's going to change so many lives. It's got like a lot of pictures um, that, you know, go through it and they sort of compliment it because I did start on Instagram like as as that kind of blog yeah I think you have the paperback version this is a, a hardcover version um I did the art as well um these are the covers for the the next uh few books as well that I'm working on um in the series they've all got that kind of eye with something different but yeah, I think everyone needs to get a copy of this book. I think it will change your life. It'll it'll make you feel less alone. I really hope that people who haven't struggled with mental health issues read it as well. Um, I think everyone can take away something from the book, but I really wish everyone in my life could read it because, you know, they can understand what I go through and hopefully understand what many people, I, I know you've got the book, Ashley. Um, have you found it related some parts to your journey? So I'm going to be 100% honest that it, it, I got it like two days ago. It took a little bit to come. So it took like a week after I ordered it that I knew you were coming on. And with school and stuff, I haven't started, but I plan to start. And I do want everyone to know okay. you can get it on Amazon. There's like two different options here. So the hardcover wasn't an option. I don't think there's a black and white and then there's the color. So there's there was two options that I saw that there might be three, I might've missed it, but I definitely will read it and then get back to everybody and let them know how it was. And maybe we could have like, if there's other people that want to read it and they leave comments, we could start a, like a book club about it and talk about some of these things too, like have yeah, some conversations. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think bringing the awareness. We, we can just to... start hashtagging all the different Barbies. There you yeah. go. I, I think bringing the awareness to the mental health uh, world is so important for us. It, not only being in recovery and the mental health stuff that we have going on inside of our own minds, but also the stigmas that go along with the way that people view us as people with a mental illness. And a lot of people don't even realize that if you've been uh, diagnosed with a, um, a substance use disorder, you have been diagnosed with a mental illness. And it's in the DSM, you know, and it's it's one of those things that not a lot of people understand and there's really good resources for people with mental illnesses over here in the states i'm not sure about in australia but we have a lot of resources out there to help people uh to go back to school to learn trades to you know get along in their daily lives so guys we really interesting topic today and this is so exciting and, and ashley thank you for taking the reins on this one um good to see you come out of your shell a little bit yay and uh we are going to be doing our first giveaway so we want to make sure that everybody is going to be doing the hashtag recovery survey that's going to be all one word and we are going to be giving away one of brett's shirts here in about two minutes so i want to make sure everybody gets the chat chance to put their um hashtags in the comments if you're watching live and then a little bit later on in the show, we are going to be giving away one of uh, Bipolar Barbie's shirts. 
or excuse me, not shirts, books. books. <laughs> Thank you. <Book>. And um, <laughs> and we're going to be giving one of her uh, her books away, and uh, that'll be a copy. Now, is that is that going to be coming directly from you, B, or is that coming? Yes, from... it'll it'll most likely be this exact book here. Ooh. So um, okay. it'll be a signed copy. I can either nice. sign it to you, or if you want to give it as a gift to someone, sign it to a friend. So okay. yeah. Awesome. Um, you can also order these books through my website as signed copies. Um, they're a little bit more expensive to get. The, the book is the same price as on Amazon, even a little bit cheaper. But mm -hmm. uh, the shipping to get it over to the US from Australia is a little bit more, um, yeah. unfortunately. But um, yeah, you can get signed copies from my website shipped directly by me too. That's that's awesome. And I, I have to say, I love the artwork on there. I'm I'm a big I, I like blue in general, but that blue that you have on the front cover is so grabbing and it's so like it draws me into the book. And so I'm definitely going to order a copy because uh, I have now now that I've started doing this podcast, I've started building a book list. Um, so I'm going to put that on my list of books to read, but uh, definitely really interesting. And uh, it's just so creative and your creative outlets uh, do not seem to stop just with writing and as you mentioned the uh covers coming up on a few of your other books are directly behind mm -hmm. you and those look amazing too yeah thank you um the the, the gold one is psych ward so that's going to be an eye and that's why you kind of got mm. the hands and the yeah, bars yeah. in there but um it's gold because that was a very valuable experience you know mm -hmm. um and the silver one that way is limbo and that's nice. actually got like an ornate clock on it um, so that's about being, you know, I guess the second one is hell. Um, I don't have that one up here, but, um, you know, that's wading through the waters of hell. So once you yeah. stop drowning in the seas of mental illness and your life has fallen apart, uh, then you, you know, you start going through um, hell. And then after you, you know, get out of hell, you're in limbo and you're in between the land of the living and the dead, you know. Wow. So you either take your life because you can't live. You're kind of just stuck in the middle, just going through the mm. motions of each day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, I'm excited for those too. That's really it's a lot of work publishing a book though. And it's a lot of work when you have a <laughs> mental illness, you know, um, you know, that you just go through like six months where you doubt yourself so much, or you don't have the energy or the focus and you just can't, you know, get it. And then you have these spurts of getting it done. And I've learned to live with it, um, live with my functioning capacity that I have and just embrace that and forgive myself and allow myself to rest when I, I need to rest and then take advantage of the work I can do when I can function. Yeah, absolutely. And so to, to get your book, Ashley said that she found your book on Amazon and you can also go to your website, which is bipolar Barbie. Um, and we have that up on the, uh, the banner with her book there. Uh, and also down mm -hmm. below on the screen, so bipolarbarbie.com, and you can order her book. Uh, the It is coming from Australia, so just remember, it might take a little bit longer for those of you who are in the States, um, but that's okay because it definitely sounds like it's going to be worth the wait. Uh, so, okay. Hey, Brett, are we, are we ready to do our first giveaway, sir? I'm ready, man, whenever you are. All right, brother. You have our, uh, do we have giveaway uh, theme music? Yes, I love Always. it. Ooh, drum roll or something. Oh, it's Ooh, coming. Cool. Don't worry. I'm, I'm. I got all the sound effects loaded up after after you and uh, Jason were giving me a hard time about <laughs> it. So, I'm prepared, sir. Yeah, you, you have it on, right? Because it's, it's. I do. I do. Okay. Oh, and 
And the winner of the shirt is Jason Rudin, last week's guest. Jason Rudin. Jason, welcome back to the show, brother. It was so good to have you on last week, and congratulations for winning the Recovery Survey t-shirt. Brett will be getting a hold of you, and we'll get your information, and we will be sending that over to you. And we're going to be running our next promotional thing, which is going to be hashtag Bipolar Barbie. And yeah, we're going give me to be doing one, a giveaway. Give me just a second to get it set up before you yeah, guys Brett's start Brett's doing that on the that. fly. Thank you, Brett. You're doing an amazing job over there. Pushing all those buttons it. and clicking all those clickers and finding all that music for us. You're really doing a stellar job there, my friend. So, all right, And what about so. you, Kyle? Yes. I'm, I want to I want to throw you under the bus for a second, but um, you you guys were pretty quiet, um, which is fine. But <laughs> I just want to know, you know, what your if you have experiences with mental health or you know um, how you find talking about it. I guess mm-hmm. is that hard for you to do? Oh sure, no, I, it, definitely not hard for me. I, I work in the mental health field, so uh, for me, working uh, with uh, clients or patients with. Um, you know, dual diagnosis uh, and with different disorders uh, other than, you know, uh, the addiction uh, disorders that we have out of the DSM. Uh, you know, very comfortable for me to work with. My own experience, uh, sometimes I get depressed, but I don't think it's anything that would be diagnosable. Um, but, you know, my I, I feel that, you know, my, my levels are pretty good. Most of the time, uh, the work that I've done in recovery has really mm-hmm. kind of helped me find out who I am and to learn how to. <laughs> Carl has never been this quiet. Thank you, Jer. Um, <laughs> True. Learn, no, I was just wondering. <laughs> you guys were so yeah. silent. <laughs> well, no, we were letting Ashley go because you guys were having a great conversation, and and I didn't. Yeah. I felt like I didn't really want to like interrupt because it had a lot of really good momentum going, and a lot of really good content there. And sometimes if we just kind of like jump in, you know, it could, it could, it could derail the whole thing. So, um, yeah, it was like perfect, like girl time. And, uh, I I think that it was like super valuable for you guys to have that conversation. Yeah, no, no, definitely. I just wanted to, you know, I think it's important, uh, for people to understand that guys can talk about this stuff too, you know? Oh yeah. hundred percent. I just got. I just got the 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 book. Um, is it called "Guys Cry" or "Men Cry Too"? Or I'm not sure. Yeah. So I haven't read that one yet either. It just came to, but title's yeah. catchy. We do. Yeah, and you know, it's it's really important because this is something that we learned in school when I was in school and stuff. Is that when when we grow up with our family units and we have our family values which and these are values that are instilled in us with um you know different types of uh people that we're around and growing up and everything and when we take our family values and we're taught you know guys play with with trucks and guns and you know and all this stuff and girls play with dolls and and you know these things and for a lot of the a lot of the guys that I've come in contact with and the clients and everything, that value system is very just kind of straightforward and macho. But when we come into recovery and we come into um, a community that is, uh, you know, a mental health community, we have to learn how to get in touch with ourselves. And we have to learn that having our feelings and having these emotions that come up for us is perfectly healthy and it's okay and the best thing that we can do is to talk about them 
don't hold them inside because if we hold them inside, that's where the danger lies. That's where it's going to build up. That's where it's going to manifest. And that's where it's going to really kind of, you know, just eat away at us. And like Ashley was talking about with effective communication, we have to be effective, able to communicate. We have to be able to be effective in order to express our emotions and our feelings in an effective manner. And also using the proper words and verbiage and stuff. And for a lot of people coming into a recovery situation, they might not understand how to express themselves. They might use the term good as a overall feeling, you know, without being able to describe, well, how are you really feeling? I would have clients that I would, you know, see at the rehab and they'd, oh, I'm doing good today. And I say, no, I really want to know how you're feeling. I don't want to know if you're good or not. Give me a feeling word. And it's really important to understand that we have our feeling words, and those are really important to understand and to get to know. And, and there's so many different feelings that we can have. And, you know, that's why we use tools like the face chart and everything to help people understand the different feelings. Absolutely. And, and also, like, bad emotions aren't bad. You know, there's an amazing quote by Dr. Phil where he talks about being in Texas, growing up in Texas and super hot roads. And he he says, like, you know, when I was a kid, I was standing on the road in Texas and he said it was so hot, it would burn the bottom of your feet. So he said, obviously, you felt pain and it was physical pain, but it's similar to emotional pain. And he said, without that pain, you wouldn't get off the road. You know, that pain there is telling you to run to the grass to get to the other side so that you, you know, you don't burn the soles of your feet. So it's very similar with emotional pain. You sort of have to ask yourself, like, is there something in my life that's causing this? Because, yes, there's mental illness, um, you know, like bipolar or some major depression, schizophrenia. But there is also mental health issues that are related to being in a terrible relationship, being in a terrible job, being in a, a terrible environment that you need to get yourself out of. So in those circumstances, um, people, you know, might try and numb their pain either with medication, with drugs or alcohol. Um but that pain is there trying to tell them something and ignoring that pain or trying to numb that pain. And even myself, you know, I've, I've had mental health illness, like mental illnesses, but also these mental health issues. And I was never going to be stable unless I got my life together. Um, so that is, you know, a very important point to understand what the root of that pain is. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the uh, things that I really like that I learned when I was taking a suicidiology course, or not a course, it was a, um, a seminar, and uh, the, uh, the keynote speaker at the seminar said that we have to find the locus of our pain. We have to find that root of our pain. And I don't know why the word the locus of our pain really stuck with me, but it was very impactful for me. And just to hear that made it sound like you know, we're going deeper than just like what is bothering you. We're getting down to the root of the problem. And to be able to identify that is the some of the hardest things to do, but it can be some of the most impactful things that we can do when we're trying to help somebody overcome any type of mental, um, you know, distress, PTSD, bipolar disorder, you know, and all these things is to try to find kind of the root of the problem and what's really kind of digging at you at that moment. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, one of the reasons that I've become, you know, where, where I am today, like this is a grant, like a 
shed out the back of my parents' house that I've converted into this. And I've been living here for a few years now. Um, it's been a traumatic experience at first because they were a root of a lot of my pain and issues. But living here sort of forced me to deal with them. So if I could kind of deal with the devil, then, you know, all relationships from now on are going to be easy. But I also had to be single and I've been single for two years, not ready to mingle. And it has been such a freeing experience because a lot of my issues were, you know, about this fear of being alone. Um, so now that I'm alone and I'm 100% okay with being alone, it's allowed me to set these boundaries. I don't have to, you know, feel bad and, and do things for other people and give out energy that I don't have. You know, I can just be me. And, you know, when people want my time and I'm I'm not in a place to give it, I'm like, no, <laughs> sorry. Uh, and you're not going to make me feel guilty for saying no to you. I'm not on this planet to serve you, even though I was brought up in that kind of mindset, saying no, I was beaten for. Um, but also being in this environment, um, you know, my parents try and kick me out and I just say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not leaving. <laughs> you know, whereas before that, I was in a different share house every few months. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't have financial stability. I didn't have housing stability. Um, I didn't have relationship stability. So how, how was I expecting to be stable in myself as a person? if everything around me was like volcanoes and tornadoes and I was just in, in this whirlwind kind of situation. So getting those foundations was sort of the, the start of putting the bricks back together of my life, you know, um, just clearing away all of that rubble, putting down a concrete slab and then just starting to build that house of what I wanted my life to look like. I think that people you know, a lot of people don't realize how important safety is, emotional safety, physical safety. It's really hard to be stable mentally, physically, all of that without knowing where you're going to live tomorrow, where you're going to get your next meal, if you're going to be yelled at, if you're not going to be yelled at. If you're, you know, the first step to wellness is, you know, being feeling safe, feeling emotionally safe, being able to have conversations, feeling, you know, like you know that you're going to be okay tomorrow. You're going to have a place to live. Like, how can you focus on, you know, yourself when you don't know what you're going to do tomorrow? I often look at it like for a long time, I was in survival mode, you know, and um, I could only dream of a world where I was living, you know, where I could actually live a life because, you know, just because you're alive doesn't mean you're living. So, you know, when you're in, in survival mode you're really just taking it day by day and by sin. and you know people in my life always say to me you know it's crazy how bad things happen to you and you just shrug it off and go oh well shit happens uh, that's an Australian saying like shit happens you know whatever and I, I'm just like well you know I've just been shot so many times that at the end of the day you just kind of focus on what you can control and let go of what is outside of your control um, so sometimes going through traumatic experiences can help you grow in that regard. But I've finally gotten to a place where I can say that I'm living, where I feel alive and I have a life to live. And now I'm dreaming of the place that I can get to where I'm thriving, you know, and I'm not quite there yet, but that's where I want to be. And, you know, for so many years, that just seemed like a fantasy, an unattainable fantasy. But yeah, if you're in survival mode, you know, goal one is just learning to live again. And that's when people say things like, well, why can't you just uh, 
why can't you just, you know, go to the party? Why can't you just get out and walk your dog? It's like, well, I'm in survival mode. It's very similar as if I was in a war zone and my physiotherapist, because I had a horse riding accident when I was 14 and I broke my neck and fractured my spine. And it was only two years ago that that physical pain caught up with me. And no one could really believe that I hadn't felt that physical pain for, you know, like 10 years. But he said, you know, if you're in a war zone and you tread on a needle, you're not going to feel that pain because there's so much going on around you and you've got so much adrenaline flowing. So basically that was the same thing for me. I was fighting for my life in, you know, trying to stay alive. And the emotional pain was so intense that I just could not feel this physical pain that I had. My brain just switched off um, those pain receptors because I just had so much other stuff that I was dealing with that was more present, you know, at the moment. Totally understandable. So I want to hear from Brett. I want him to to sit in the chair. And is it hard to talk about your feelings, Brett? Uh, no, I don't really think so. I mean, definitely... I, I can relate to some of the comments that have come in as far as like in the early stages of recovery, the emotions can be kind of overwhelming. Um, I think I've gotten to a place though now where I'm okay with my emotions and I'm definitely a lot more emotional. I'm not as closed off as I was when I was using, like mm -hmm. I, I feel like I cry on a, uh, I wouldn't, I don't know if regular basis would be the right, the right description, but probably like once a month or so. You know, and and now today I'm learning how to deal with things in more of a healthy way. You know, the coping mechanisms that I used in my addiction were to get high. And that was the same. I mean, that was that was the end result of everything I did. If it was if something good happened, I got high. If something bad happened, I got high. Like that was just a continual thing for me. And so once I took away that crutch, um, I had to really examine myself and begin to do some of that internal work and figure out why did, why was that my solution? And, you know, why was I so afraid of my emotions? I, and I, th I think a lot of that goes back to childhood, especially I, I'm sure Carl can probably attest to it mm -hmm. as men were kind of taught to be like that macho, you know, un unemotional person. Like we're supposed to be like the tough, pillar in the family and like be the leader and never never show that we're scared or that we're or, you know whatever the emotions are and that was kind of the the way that i was brought up was like we don't like that that's my dad like i think i've seen my dad cry maybe once in my entire life like that was just kind of what i was taught is we don't show emotion uh so i've been learning over the past few years like how to how to be that person and like be vulnerable and you know even like my wife and I have been married for a few years now and like starting to open up to her and be emotional and be vulnerable and let her know like, Hey, I'm struggling. It's difficult right now. It's, you know, work is stressful or, you know, financially it's stressful when, when we do this, like we need to, you know, we need to plan better or we need to not spend that money or whatever it is like being able to communicate and, and, but, but finding that balance too. Cause in early recovery, I think for me, all those emotions came back and like the one that was the easiest to go to is anger like just be mad about shit and now it's like finding that way to communicate in a healthy manner and can i actually put something really interesting that i learned about that anger um when you're sort of coming down 
from addiction and something that happens with a lot of heavy duty pot smokers, they get really angry after a point of time, is that often when you get high, there's a there's a neurotransmitter in your brain called GABA. It has a really long name that I can't remember, but GABA for short. And um, it's like the calming um like neurotransmitter it's the rhythm so if you look at your brain like an electrical unit dopamine's like the power supply um serotonin's like the brakes the on and off switch acetylcholine is uh like the fiber you know cables they're kind of fluid around the nerves um that creates that that myelin sheath um the, so that's like the fluidity that kind of ampage that you get um and in GABA is that the rhythm that you get as well in your brain. And when you're using like things like drugs and alcohol, um, the chemicals actually attract to the GABA um, receptors. So basically it, it artificially replaces the GABA in your brain. So then mm. your body can no longer absorb those natural GABA neurotransmitters, which is that rhythm. Um, that control, you know, calms you down. It's the calm, nurturing, you know, kind of rhythm in your body. So when you suddenly stop putting in that that artificial GABA into your brain, then all of a sudden you don't have anything, and it takes a long time for your body to actually start producing that neurotransmitter naturally again and be able to absorb it in your body. So there is actually a biological reason as to why you feel that anger when you try and stop. Uh, because your brain isn't isn't able to kind of regulate your emotions properly. Yeah, and that, that totally yeah. makes sense. And I also went through that phase of like, I guess it would be depression where I, I feel like no matter what I did, like I couldn't find that happiness or that joy mm -hmm. because I've been using for so long that that those uh, I'm, I'm totally blanking on on the correct words to use because I'm on the spot. Um, but like the dopamine was gone and my body wasn't making it anymore. It was like, I can't find happiness. Like everything sucks. Like what's the point? And that was kind of a, that was like a six month period in the beginning for me of just like depression and not really knowing what to do. Yep. And all different, and you know, drugs do it in a different way. Opiates, you know, it takes a year for, for serotonin to come back after you know, and dopamine's a long time with that too. Um, you know, amphetamines, there's, you know, that's, it changes the chemical makeup of your brain. So your body has to learn how to make those chemicals again. Some people, they never get to healthy levels again after, you know, prolonged use. So I think that was an important thing that you said, Jess, so that people can yeah, realize. Yeah, thank you. Sorry, I'm just looking at my, I'm just looking at my bookcase because it's a there's an incredible book on uh, the neurotransmitters, um, which, you know, it explains so much. I just can't see it on my bookshelf right now. Um, and I can't remember the name of it being put on the spot right now. Um, but it's it's a fantastic book by Dr. Eric Braverman. He wrote it and he talks about the four main neurotransmitters. Um, I just can't think of the name, but Dr. Eric Braverman. Uh, but yeah, he he explains the role of the four main neurotransmitters, what what changes them, and also what is your nature. So my nature is acetylcholine, which is creative. It's flexibility of thought. So that's like my natural state. 
Um, so it, my body functions more on an excess of acetylcholine. But if you're deficient in that one or all of the other ones, it, it changes your personality. It, it changes your moods, what you're physically capable of. Um, and a lot of my chronic pain was due to uh, a deficiency in both GABA and acetylcholine. So when you're coming off, you know, drugs or you've gone through a lot of things, um, I, I would highly recommend having a look at that book because it does focus a lot on diet and lifestyle. Um, and one of the things, for example, someone who's acetylcholine dominant, what they watch and what they surround themselves with is very much absorbed into their being. And I mean, I think everyone is, but for me, that's a huge thing being creative. So, you know, if I'm binge watching depressing stuff all the time or surrounding myself with a really depressive environment, then that's what my body is absorbing. You know, that's what my mind is seeing and it's ticking over somewhere in, in the back, all of that content. So what I try and do when I'm drawing or kind of doing those things, I'll put on a background podcast or, you know, a background documentary of something that is good. Um, you know, whether it's about psychology or just something kind of motivational and just little things like that, I think, in people's environment and what they expose themselves to can make a huge difference. Because if you're just sitting there death scrolling through social media and you've gotten stuck in the wrong algorithm and you're down some rabbit hole of some depressing stuff, then, you know, you're going to absorb that into your body and, uh, you know, you can't possibly hope to be in a happy place if you're not exposing yourself to uh, things that make you feel like whole and are in line with your true nature. Yeah, I, yeah. I see a couple different <laughs> books uh, by Dr. Eric Braverman. Is it The Edge Effect or is it Healing? The Edge Effect, yes. The Edge Effect, okay. The Edge I'll Effect. The, I'll put that in the, in the description and in the show notes for people that yeah. are listening later on. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, really. There's a lot of so so many good resources out there for people that want to learn about how our brain is affected when we um, intake, um, you know, drugs and stuff. There's another really good good book uh, written by, and I'm gonna I'm gonna mess his last name up. I you know I'm I'm really good at messing people's name up. Um, it's um, Daryl. Uh, crap i don't even want to say because i'm gonna screw it up but it's called uppers <laughs> downers and all arounders um which is another really good textbook if you're if you want to dive into the kind of the uh this uh, uh pharmacology end of things and um there was so in school we had to do a whole pharmacology class and that in fact that was my first class that i had to take was um psychopharmacology and it was so intense to learn about these different transmitters and the receivers and how our brain works and why does our brain work this way and what are what are certain things blocking and what are certain things allowing us to have an overflow of and so really good resources out there if anybody's looking for books uh maybe uh brett and we can get a couple of links up for those books in the show description as well uh maybe to send people over if they're interested in learning more about the pathways within our brain. But the brain is so resilient, too. But the great thing about our brain is that if we take one pathway and we block it in and we say you are not going to be able to use this because it's being preoccupied by something else, our brain has the innate ability of finding a different way around it and also the damaged portions of our brain. So 
Um, and the brain has a good way of repairing itself. A lot of the damage we do with using sometimes is repairable. Sometimes it's permanent, but you know, a lot of times it can be repaired, but it takes a couple of years for your whole brain to kind of regenerate and to repair itself. Those good well, habits I think that, too. That yeah. kind of goes for all of your life as well. I think yeah, that kind of absolutely. goes for all of your life as well. Like I like to think that every second is a chance to change your life. You know, like I, I understand that I have control over most things in my life and it, or control it to how I react to those things. And sometimes I just want to do a number of myself and think of something super depressing and cry. And I know that I don't have to think about that. I know that I can change that thought. I know that I can get out of that state. And I know the tools that I have, the coping mechanisms that I have to be able to change that. But sometimes I'm like, you know what? I just want to wallow in my own self-pity for a while. But, you know, because I know that I'm the one that's allowing myself to do that, you know, I can go, well, I'm going to accept the consequences for this. I can change it. Um, and, you know, in the past, sometimes I have given up on going to therapy for six months and or a year. And then, you know, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to give that another go now. You know, so just because you did it once and then you like never went back like today, today's the day. Like if you're listening to this, this is a new chance for you to change your life, to start a new habit. And the amount of that I've tried to start new habits and, you know, it, I might just take a six month hiatus and then say, you know what, I'm going to go back to editing my books today. I'm going to go back to picking up that hobby that I started. I'm going to go back to that yoga class or go back on trying to eat healthy again or, you know, go back and reach out to that psychiatrist and, and say that I'm in a different place now and I want to give this another go. You know, um, I think every second we can make a different choice to change our life and we'll do that up until the day we die. It's never too late. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm trying to post the uh, Amazon link over to uh, one of the books there. Uh, but I'll, I'll send it over to Brett in our private chat. And uh, we will definitely get that up up on the thing. And just so you guys know, if you're looking for some of these textbooks, man, I've, I learned something really important when I was in school. Buy the book used. You can find used books at a fraction of the price than a new book because I was looking at this book online and knew it's like 74 to to $100. And I, I'm not going to spend that much on a textbook. And I would buy used in, in like new or good condition. And through all the time that I've been in school, I've been buying used textbooks. Typically, they don't have hardly any writing on the inside. They might have some highlighting. And they're usually in really good condition. So, um, you know, and, and I like to keep all my books. I don't like to give them back at the end of the semester because they're so invaluable um, at work and with what I do and everything. And and so yeah so yeah so so what keeps you so positive there b what what's what is your positive drive in life honestly i don't really know um i think i've always been like this but also i guess you have to understand a little bit about my background like i was brought up in a way like i was that that kid at school that was just so obnoxiously good at everything like, you know, that person, you can always think of one person in your mind that's top of all the classes, like good at all the sports, like does all the extracurricular activities, like that typical, like, I guess, American movie high schooler that's like has absolutely everything. Um, and that was me. 
And I was just promised, like, you're going to be prime minister one day. You're going to take over. You're going to change the world. Like, all of these great things. You can do anything because, you know, you're smart. You're you're talented. You've got this. Like, you can, you know, the world's your oyster. And when my whole world fell apart, you know, that future just seemed to disappear. And I was not capable of any of the things that I used to be capable of. You know, I just went from this highly functioning individual to this completely non-functioning person. And I just... I don't know. I, I think it comes down to the fact that I never lost hope that I could be that person again. You know, I, I was always trying to get back to myself. And I think that did hold me back for a little while because I was trying to get back to the person that I was. But I realized I was kind of fighting to be this ghost. Um, and it was more about who I was becoming. Uh, but I just I just think I never accepted the fact that life was going to be shitty for me. You know, it was. And I just I just did not want to ever accept that. <laughs> I just, you know, I've lost hope many, many times, but I would always find a way to find it again. Um, you know, it's it's a candle that I think never truly goes out. You know, it's a flame like a Bunsen burner that you can turn up and down. But, you know, it, it never fully got extinguished, I guess, for me. Um, even though at times I'd be living in darkness. And it, when I went to Nepal, I did an amazing trip over there. And the Buddhist monks in this temple, um, they named me Junelli, which is actually what I, oh, this shoulder that I have tattooed here. And that was my Nepalese name. And it meant the brightest moon on the darkest night. It was a lunar phenomenon. And, you know, that really meant a lot to me because I always had this manic episode, which was like a bright, bright, you know, moon, and then the the complete darkness of depression. But I also kind of feel like where life has taken me is that my journey is to, you know, light up the darkness for a lot of other people. I just kind of felt like that was my purpose. And I don't know if you've looked into like the hero's journey, but most stories that have ever been written or told have this hero's journey and there's five steps in that hero's journey. But I remember being in the psych ward one day and I was talking about how much I had lost to my therapist. You know, I'd lost my law degree. I'd lost my modeling career. I'd lost, you know, my partner. I'd lost absolutely everything that I felt like I wanted in life. But she said to me, you have to stop thinking about what you've lost and start thinking about what you've gained. You know, that kind of uh, trivial silver lining. But when I really thought about what little me wanted, like what did little Jess want? When I was five years old, I wanted to be a fashion designer. I wanted to be a motivational speaker. I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to write a book and I wanted to change the world. And in that moment, I realized that I had actually gained everything that I ever wanted. Everything that young me wanted. I had something to talk about. You know, I this journey had made my art better. Um, it had given me something to express and how I had turned that into becoming a mental health advocate made me feel like I really was changing the world or at least the lives of one other person. So for me, being able to see the, you know, the good that I could do with my journey and the strengths that I now had, this understanding of, you know, this this world and this experience that not many people could understand, but also my innate ability to communicate that information, it just sort of clicked that, you know what, this is my purpose in life. And this is what I'm going to devote my life to doing. This is what I love. This is who I am as a person. This is what makes me feel complete and whole. And I think in a way I had to 
have my whole life destroyed to strip away everything that maybe society had put on me. You know, I was told you were too smart to be an artist. I was, you know, I, I was sort of filtered into this like box, this tunnel that society, my teachers, my family, everyone had kind of put this pressure on me to go a certain way. And, you know, the picture of what my life was meant to be was a certain way. But once I sort of just stripped all of that away and went back to like, well, who am I? What am I actually good at? And, you know, start to live what I would call like my true nature, my true sort of calling and just who I was as a person. Um, that was kind of a moment that I really just could get over what I had in life. Um, what I had experienced and just start looking towards the future and kind of what I was building. And that's really what held me, held, you know, gave me hope. Yeah. Well, I have some bad news for you. I think you might be changing the world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Should we give away your book and change yeah. somebody else's world a little yes. bit? I think that's a good idea. All right. So, okay, Brett, we're going to be doing our second giveaway and let us know when you are ready. So, I am always ready, man. That's right, brother. Got to do the uh, cheesy yeah. 80s game show music. That's right. I love it, man. All right. And the winner of the book is Chrissy. Oh, Chrissy. Nice. Woohoo, Chrissy. Yeah. Chrissy All from right. Canada. Chrissy from Canada. Canada Chrissy. Going international. We have someone yeah, from Australia, we are, Canada. Yeah. We have a big international show. And I'm, I'm not going to well, attempt to say her last Chrissy, name. Chrissy, your name yeah. is on this book now. That's all right. You'll send me the info later. Yeah, Chrissy, we'll get you in touch with her. So that definitely. I can post it to her. Yeah, yeah. Chrissy's amazing. Chrissy. You'll yeah. like her. She's on the show all the time. <laughs> it's amazing. She's great. Um, great, guys. So, Brett, what, what, we, have, uh, we have some other stuff that we're doing uh, on the show here. So we're going to be uh, celebrating birthdays coming up here in a minute. And then we also have a great clip for you on a comedy show that we're going to be highlighting. And so, um, Brett, why don't we jump into our birthdays right now, man? Let's do it. We are celebrating sober birthdays for the month of January. And if you guys want to be included on this list, I believe JR has a post on Facebook. And we also have a Google form set up. So if you are celebrating a sober birthday and you want to be a part of it, find one of those. I think we'll have the, the link for that will be in the description slash show notes. So without further ado, here is the January Sober Birthday video.
right, guys. So happy birthday for everybody who is celebrating sober birthdays for the month of January. And we're so happy that you guys have submitted. And we also want to remind you that if you would like to get on our birthday list, you can now go to our website and you can submit your birthday information. That is now live for us. Or if you would also like to go to my website, you can go over to mine. Um, I have a link on my website where you can submit to the same list. Uh, so we have multiple areas for you to do that. And we will also have the link for that in the show notes uh, so that if you guys are unsure where to go, you will be able to click on that link um, either on your streaming app for your podcast or if you're on YouTube watching this, uh, just click on the show description and it will drop down and we have all of our links there for you. And also if you're on um, YouTube, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button for us. Uh, really important that you do that. Uh, we had almost 300 subscribers uh, sign up for our YouTube channel uh, last week and we would like to get a few more so uh, just go ahead and remember to hit that subscribe button for us and it will really help us out give us a thumbs up if you're enjoying these videos that also helps out our ratings and allows other people to find these videos uh, so that they can join in the conversation and hopefully join one of our live streams so really important stuff going on here to guys so Brett why don't you tell us a little bit about the video that we have coming up for the comedy show Sure. So we have another show that's going to be joining the lineup of live shows on the Recovery Revolution Facebook page. Uh, it's going to be with J.D. Dilks, and the name of that show is Laughter is a Drug. So I got a little promo that he sent us earlier in the week, and I'm going to go ahead and play that for us. It was fucking tequila that got me on my knees, like in more way than one. You know what I mean? Like it was bad. <laughs> like it was not, it was not good. Like it is never a good thing. Gordy just blotted it up real small, crumpled it up, and ran up to meet this guy while I had shitty pants on and ripped him off 20 bucks. <laughs> Made up my friend Horse. If you have a friend named Horse, and you ask for painkillers. You're going to get dope. I got some heroin. <laughs> All right. And if you want to catch this show, it's going to be posted on the Recovery Revolution website on Facebook. And that is Recovery Revolution, excuse me, Recovery Revolution 100 on Facebook. If you're looking for the group and we will have those videos up there for you. And they will be starting their uh, YouTube channels here um, probably pretty soon. So we'll have more information about where you can find those on YouTube if you're one of our YouTube viewers or followers. And we really appreciate everything that you guys are doing. So, uh, yeah, so B, it's, it's, it's amazing to have you on the show. And, and your story is so compelling. And it's so wonderful to talk about this super important topic today. Uh, you know, just mental health in general. Uh, a lot of times we focus on the addiction side of mental health, but I think it's so important to understand that along with the addiction, other mental health disorders can arise. And it's not only that, you know, people are, are born, well, I mean, I guess they are born with the disorder, but it doesn't necessarily come up in life. But once they have that addiction and they go through that addiction cycle, a lot of times it can trigger and bring up another disorder that has been, you know, dormant and was not diagnosed prior to starting your cycle of addiction. So, um, a hundred percent and the other way too. 
you know um sometimes people turn to addiction because their quality of life you know is is lowered so much because of you know undiagnosed mental health issues or traumas and things like that and it's you know addiction becomes a way of coping yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and, so and it, not all mental health disorders or mental illnesses are you know you're not born with all of them some of them mm-hmm. are from damage that are done during life there's there's different ones and and like she said talking about mental health and mental health disorders are different things um but you know they're both very important topics you know one's more of like a a daily check-in you know you're not you're not doing you know things that make you well like whole wellness you know and that's more of the mental health part of it um mental health disorders you know, you have to pay attention to your your daily mental health to manage those symptoms as well. So they're very intertwined. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, there's one more thing. Um, I don't know what I've done with it. It was up here somewhere. But um, now that I think of it, one of the things that was life changing for me in my the early days of my my mental uh, illness was actually mood charting. So. Um, you know, you can download some mood charts online. I'll be updating one to my website soon for free that people can download one that I created and used, but basically charting symptoms, like your your level of mood on a scale of like one to three, high or low, but also charting things like, you know, did I use drugs today? Did I take my medication? Did I have relationship conflict? If you're a, a woman, you know, did I have a period? Where am I at with my menstrual cycle? You know, did I have coffee today or, you know, things like that. And then that way you can look. If you chart over a six-month period, you will be able to see patterns. And it's also very helpful information that you can then hand to your doctor or your your mental health professional. And it communicates vital information that they will find super helpful that you will maybe otherwise forget to tell them. Um, because when you see them, you're just thinking about the recent past, whereas that gives them a pretty good summary of how you've been feeling over a month or a few months. And that can, you know, I guess, drastically increase your recovery time. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many different things that we can do that, you know, focus on the the idea that we have to maintain our, our personal well-being, our mental well-being, and our bodies, and all of these things that go in that we neglected when we had, when we were in that stage of addiction, and we were just throwing it all out the window. And having to relearn about ourselves, I think it's probably the hardest struggle that I had to deal with, was, you know, the idea that, I can now be somebody that's productive and I don't have any limitations to what I can do in the world because as an addict, I always put limitations on myself. You know, I was like, I was content with being an addict. I was like, well, that's what it's going to sum up for me. And coming into recovery, I learned relatively quickly that I don't have limitations on myself anymore and I don't have to live by these limitations by my own self ethos and my own beliefs inside of me because I have the ability to change those and it doesn't have to dictate who I am. One of the great sayings that I love is it doesn't matter who you are when you fall down. What matters is who you can become when you get back up and all of us have this ability now to change our lives and to change ourselves for the better. I think it's, you know, that's a great point. And sometimes you feel like, am I going to be the one that can't do this? Am I going to be the one that can't do better? And 
you know, change things. And I think that's a, a fear, you know, that for a long time, I just didn't feel like I could succeed or thrive. So it was easier not to try because it was like more devastating to not achieve or not do these things. So it was part well, of the Well, if you don't that. try, you can't fail. Of yeah. course. Well, that's the mindset that you think if you, if you don't try, you can't fail. But in actual fact, if your greatest fear is is failing, then not trying guarantees your worst fear will come true. Right. 100%. And, and I, I would much rather aim for the stars and miss than aim for the gutter and succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So... Well, I'm it's, so yeah. glad you're here. Yeah, oh, and Carl so is going to say the same thing. <laughs> oh my gosh, I was just going to say, man, it's, it's so good to, it's so refreshing to have, uh, have you on the show today, and you know, just listening to you and Ashley go through your, your dialogue and everything, and the conversation that you guys had, and then opening up to talking about feelings today, and to talk about all of these so important things that we have going on that a lot of us struggle with and a lot of us have a hard time talking about because of we're afraid of what other people might think of us, you know? And so it's, it's been so wonderful to have you on the show today. And I'm going to remember it. It's been wonderful. (laughs) I'm going to remember what you said, you know, one smile, one, how are you doing can save a life. And I hope others listen to that too, because that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to help someone with a mental illness, shut up and listen. <laughs> that's that's my best advice. Just listen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so a little plug for my podcast. If, so we, we actually covered this in one of my episodes. And if you guys would like to go back, I did talk to Yusuf Emanawi, uh, who is a um, clinical psychologist. And he um, is one of the uh, first people I met when I came into the recovery industry and he was my clinical supervisor. And so we talked about how to reach people when they're in that crisis mode. What does that feel like for them? And what does that feel like for the person that's on the receiving end of seeing somebody go through that process and the best way to communicate with them and the best, you know, help that we can get them. So if you guys want to check that out on the, on my podcast, the drunken worm podcast, that would be episode number three. Um, but it's a great resource to uh, learn about how to reach out to people who are in a crisis mode. <laughs> this is my niece. Aww. She's just walked in to crash the thing. <laughs> 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 no. Uh-oh. She's so good. She's so cute. We'll have to get her to join Aww. the show. Put the dog bowl down. <laughs> Say hi. Say hi to everyone. She's like, what? <laughs> now now we've got the, the guys outnumbered. No. no uh-oh. <laughs> and that concludes the show for tonight. No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, well be, it's, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, and we definitely want to take you. Um, thank you for taking the time today to, uh, all the way from Australia and coming out and uh, working with yeah. us, talking about recovery. <laughs> And, She's just uh, grabbing all the everything. That go along I'll put you down, with that. <laughs> She's just grabbed my bikini. She's like, We're going for a swim, Auntie. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> She's ready. Is it cold there? Yeah. No, no, it's summer. So it's like, the, it's we said it before, it's like 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, 
yeah yeah so she's definitely ashley how, how so how she's like yeah it's time there? um i think it's probably like 80 today 80? um no. yeah it's probably like 75 poor, right now poor thing we have the daytona 500 here this weekend i think it's like the 50th anniversary so there's oh, a lot yeah, of people in town big. yeah definitely one of the days that you're going to stay to the local only area oh there's people in the local area All right, guys. Well, um, that's that's a pretty good show for tonight. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, Brett, what do we have? Oh, yes, we need to talk a little bit about our new voice messaging system. So if you guys would like to send us a message and let us know how we're doing, uh, please send us a voice message at um, speak to us. Uh, dot us forward slash rrl and that will take you over to a little website where you can include a voice message which is 90 seconds long and it will come over to the show and we are now uh wanting to actually get your input guys so please uh follow through with that we'll have a link for that in the show notes as well brett um i didn't put that in the paper i sent you but uh, we'll definitely need to slide that in there and if you guys want to do that, because pretty soon we're going to be starting to use some of your your comments and stuff um, during the live show and uh, use little sound bites and stuff from that. So that'll be uh, great to hear the feedback. And we're also going to have a new segment coming up where we're going to be using this voice message uh, system. And I'm not going to give any spoilers about it, but I think it's going to be really popular. And we're going to be able to answer some questions with industry professionals uh, the, your questions that you might have if you have struggles and stuff. So, uh, yeah, but it's it's been a great show. Brett, how are you feeling, man? I'm feeling good. My computer is not feeling as good because it was locking up and I couldn't get that uh, oh. graphic oh, to go no. away. Okay. But that's okay. We're getting towards the end, so, you know, yeah. technical difficulties. Yeah. Um, Ashley did remind me, though, that we are looking for more show sponsors. So if you are interested in sponsoring mm. an episode... You can contact us on the mm -hmm. Facebook page, or you can email any one of us with our first name at recovery-revolution.org. Yes. And we have here. those email addresses listed in the show notes as well. And they're easily clickable so that you can get in touch with us, and it should open up an email um, service provider for you, and you can just start typing and let us know if you have any questions or show suggestions or sponsorship um, suggestions or if you would like to be a sponsor for the show that would be great as well and she is a climber that is fantastic yeah. not my laptop and buy the book because we're going to have a reading and we're going to talk about it i don't know how but we're going to have a group or something so yeah. buy the book so we can well i have some i have some readings as well of my book on my youtube channel so um <laughs> there's uh there's a bunch of stuff as well if you check out like my socials and my uh my uh, youtube channels as well so she's like no she's like no <laughs> down for the count <laughs> so. it looks comfy right, do you have any do you have any closing notes for us man i think we got everything Ashley, did we forget anything? JR? JR's in the comments. Did we JR, forget anything, man? I'm sure we oh, I want to show you guys one thing. Yeah. I wanted to show you guys one thing real quick. This is what I've been working on, actually, the last few days. This is a drawing for a friend of mine that um, struggles with addiction. So I just, um, yeah, I just thought I would show it to you guys because that's my interpretation of what addiction is kind of like. 
um, you know, like the tentacles coming out, like it's kind of a parasite that once it gets inside of you, um, it's, you know, hard to get out. And then these are fishing hooks that you probably can't see, but they are sort of pulling this eye apart, um, which sort of is a metaphor for, I guess, the pain that you have to endure to really look at yourself, you know, and open your eyes to kind of what you're going through to, you know, eradicate that type of um, addiction. And uh, then the fishing lines are kind of what, what anchors you to, you know, sobriety and kind of getting better. So, yeah, that's something I've been working on for a friend, but I just wanted to share that because it's addiction related. It's awesome. I wish I was artistic. I can't draw a stick figure, but I can I can do math. I'm good at that. <laughs> but that's amazing. Sorry, there there was a spider. Thank you. I to get it. Was was I on for that one? Brett, did you go? full screen when I was smashing the spider. I should have. I missed that opportunity. If my computer wasn't being so laggy right now, I definitely would have soloed you for that spider smash. I, I, I don't think you guys have anything on the Australian spiders. No, so. we don't. Okay. And I would appreciate it if we could change the topic now because I am terrified of spiders. It was a small one, but I smashed the heck out of it. All spiders <laughs> need to die. <laughs> Carl, how did that spider make you feel? Made me feel great. Empowered. <laughs> Squishing it probably yeah. did. Yeah, the Australian spiders <laughs> definitely do not have anything on the spiders here in the U.S. because I've seen pictures, and they are flipping terrifying. Like I'm gonna, <laughs> live, I'm gonna stay in a high-rise building, and hopefully they can't climb that high. Yeah, I think they can climb, man. Shh, don't, don't, yeah. <laughs> what, dude? Why do you have to say stuff like that, man? I was so juiced to go to Australia, and now it's like I'll live on a boat. What is that See, statistic? Do they, do they that, I well, I mean, there's the stingrays, the sharks, and the jellyfish, the box jellyfish. What is that statistic about you? You swallow so many spiders in your lifetime yeah, when you're I was, sleeping. I was thinking of the same thing. I, <laughs> yeah, I mm, it's like three okay. or eight, three yeah. a year or something. Yeah, I, I don't mind swallowing them. I just don't like waking up with them on me. Me and Brett's oh, minds go to the same Google, place. Google says you swallow an average of 20 spiders in your lifetime. That's that's BS. I will, um, that that is flus. That's fake news. You're going to fight with Google? Yes, I am. Dang <laughs> I don't know that you're going to win. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I have the power to win. <laughs> they need to make a movie about that. That sounds like a bit like a movie storyline right now awful and you know the dead one is is up here like it's now it's sitting on my my sound foam smushed but it, all of its legs are like up like this and i'm like Ugh, dang, it's watching you and it's death yeah well it was struggling for a moment and i just let it go yeah, there's nothing more satisfying than when like you get we we use like a boot or like a shoe and you just like smack it and there's nothing more satisfying than that the sound of just like slapping a spider and just squishing oh no it. that's awful I, I can't even imagine like the juice coming out <laughs> great show everybody I didn't tell father me I want to thank everybody for listening tonight <laughs> Oh, we always get the best bits at the end, don't we, guys? Mm -hmm. <laughs> are you afraid of snakes? No. I actually, the spiders are the, oh, and okay, so I have a phobia of dogs also, 
and that was due to um, uh, I have PTSD around dogs because when I was a child, um, there was a adult in my life that used to walk me in a stroller, um, whose name starts with an M and ends with an M, and um, and they would um, <laughs> they would walk me and and the uh, stroller would sit there while she talked to one of our neighbors. <laughs> And yeah, sorry, mom. Um, she would sit there and talk to one of our neighbors, and they had this little dog that was like kind of like at the same level that I was in the stroller, and uh, the dog would like go bonkers, barking and barking and barking. And so, I actually have a fear of barking dogs, not necessarily dogs that are loose on the street. If they're not barking, then I'm usually like pretty okay with them. But even if they're confined and they're barking, our neighbor has these horrid dogs that bark at everything at all times during the day and I have to park right next to their run so I usually wear headphones when I get out of my car and I have really loud music turned up in them. <laughs> I'm afraid of squirrels What? I was attacked right. by a squirrel when I've I only seen one squirrel Yeah, my teacher in kindergarten told us that if a squirrel's nice it means they have rabies so if they try to come close to you you should be worried because they have rabies and it was just like I mean traumatizing in a way like I literally I know that that's not true. hundred percent. I know that if you feed them, they're going to come close. And, but still it's just, I mean, it's ingrained, terrified. Floral, squirrels fly too. That's, that's terrifying. Don't, no. don't know. <laughs> we don't have squirrels. We have well, like possums, there. which are maybe the similar, but they're massive. But I, I got attacked by a pelican when I was a little kid. So I'm kind of scared of pelicans. I don't know why my parents thought it would be a good idea to get us to feed bacon to pelicans, what? but yeah, it it just decided to eat like my whole arm. <laughs> What's the oh, difference wow. between a stork and a pelican? Maybe a pelican holds more water in its mouth. I think a stork has more. Pelicans like, are the uh, ones like with the big like with, with the big like thing under thing. there. Yeah, yeah, those are. Yeah, terrifying. and I think storks are kind of they got like more like longer legs. Yeah, yeah. I think birds in general are just like scary. Oh, yeah, they got like diseases. I can't touch either. feathers. <laughs> Have you, seen you know, I watch this fascinating. No, but yeah. I watch this fascinating documentary where they think that like more than 60% of dinosaurs were birds, that they had feathers, not scales. Wait, what? Yeah, they definitely think they like came oh, like. Oh, because then, but then now they all have feathers, right? I mean, birds. Not yeah, no, scales. but they think that, like, like you know, like not the T Rex specifically, but those types of dinosaurs, mm. they think had feathers yeah. because they found like skeletons and stuff, you know, in rock and mud, and they have like feathers on them. Sorry, I'm birds are scary. What was that Alfred Hitchcock thing too? Like black and white. It's even scary in black and white, and things are normally scary in black and white. Yeah. Oh, the birds. <laughs> that was that's a terrifying movie. <laughs> so all right guys well is that is that our show brett are we uh, i think so yeah all right unless you guys want to talk about other scary animals or something oh i'm i'm good i would like to sleep tonight yeah me too I got I seven hours oh yeah you, it's it's like two o'clock in the afternoon for me so Be my so day's just getting started all, we could go all day <laughs> <laughs> i got that Right. I guess I need to load up a couple like horror sound effects if we're gonna continue this theme. Yeah, no, no creepy sound effects. So, all right, Brett, why don't you take us home, buddy? I would love to take us home. Thank you, everyone, for watching tonight's live broadcast. Thank you again to Bipolar Barbie for coming on tonight. 
or I guess today for you. We're still we're still on Thursday over here in the states. You're you're about to start your weekend. Um, if you guys would like more information about the show, go to recovery-revolution.org/live. You can watch the past videos. You can watch our current live video on the on that page. And there's also contact information for us as well as the birthday sign up that Carl mentioned earlier. So be sure to check that out for all information that pertains to the live show. And remember, guys, progress, not perfection.